Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. Hey, Henry, you have a great mom and dad, and they love the tons. Even though it's weird, they live in different countries. And I know right now it feels like you're in a sad song, but you, young man, you have the power to take a sad song and make it better. Oh, I like that. Yeah, me too. You know what the best thing about this song is? What? This. Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? Today, we are exploring Season 3, Episode 8, We'll Never Have Paris. And interestingly, this one was written by Keely Hazel and Dylan Marin. And I say interestingly because, first of all, I think this is the first written by credit that both of them have gotten. And Keely Hazel plays Bex on the show. And she was also, for a while, Jason Sudeikis' girlfriend. And I was just reading an article about how Keely Jones, our Keely in the show, is loosely based on Keely Hazel's life. And so part of the storyline today is um, similar to something that actually happened to her. So I thought that was actually really interesting. Whoa, I didn't know this. (laughs) Yeah. And then this one was directed by Erica Dunton who has also directed uh, previous episodes, Rainbow and Signal, The Signal. So, Which one's Bex? Who's Bex again? <laughs> She's married to Rupert. Oh, her. Oh, my goodness. Whoa, dude. Uh, I would not have. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? It was written by her? And who else? Dylan Marin. So I don't think he has a role on the show. Oh, okay, he's not in the role in the show. Yeah. But I didn't realize this. Both of them have been listed as staff writers for several episodes. So they've definitely been contributing to the writing. But um, this is their first individual written by credits. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Interesting. This was an interesting episode in that I felt like we were watching three separate episodes in a way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so there was just, I think... Three, maybe three and a half storylines. You know, there's everything happening with Ted. Uh, There was Nate's storyline and then obviously Keely's storyline. And then within that kind of the team and Colin, which I think sets us up for next week. First of all, any overarching themes for you? Anything of note pop up? Well, here's the ironic thing. So last week uh, or last episode, I was just like, oh, this is my favorite episode of the entire season. Oh, this was my least favorite episode of the entire season. 
And I usually don't even comment on like, this is the best episode or this is the worst. Like, like whatever. I, I yeah. don't enjoy doing that typically. Yeah. But I just was trying to get into it, but I just wasn't. I was yeah. just like, man, they're spending a lot of time on Nate. <laughs> like, I was like, there's a lot of Nate in this. And and I was like, maybe I was missing the team. I don't know what was happening. I just was missing. Yeah. I felt like it was missing something. I don't know what. Yeah. And so now I'm turning into uh, some of the people on Facebook where I'm like, I'm angry. It should have been this way. I don't know what it should have been. I just was I was just like, it wasn't my favorite. That's all. <laughs> so, yeah, it will. And you're in good company. I think a lot of people felt that way about this episode. Uh, I don't know. For me, I felt like it was really kind of disjointed in a way. I mean, I think it had good moments for sure. But yeah, it it wasn't the strongest, I think, of the ones we've seen so far. But, you know, it happens. So so the the themes that then I resonated with was uh, the theme of where do we stand? As I feel like there was a where like, you know, what what's our relationship? Right. Mm-hmm. Where are we? Because I feel like each of them were trying to figure that out. Um, and then there was something about like secrets right and secrets coming into daylight which i thought was really interesting which we can get into with like colin and and the team and stuff like that you know usually i find like an overarching theme for all three storyline or like all the storylines and i didn't feel that in this one and so Mm. for ted's storyline i thought it was very much about learning to be in the present moment Mm. And this storyline really resonated for me because of all the mindfulness work I do. And so much of what they were talking about is stuff that I actually say in the training that I do. And so um, I really enjoyed that. I also found Nate's storyline kind of interesting because for me, the theme there was um, loneliness and uh, the desire for meaningful connection. And um, I really want to get into that just because of... Uh, what the the advisory the Surgeon General just put out this week around loneliness, because I think that that's actually really interesting. And then for Keeley, what I thought was interesting is we're back, we kind of came full circle to the theme of accountability, yeah. which we saw back in season one. Yeah. And so, um, so in that way, I thought that it was actually quite interesting how they brought it all around. But I guess let's go ahead and jump in with Keeley first, since that's like the big one on this. And then that way we can talk a little bit about the team as well. There were a lot of parallels, right? So you have Jack and Keely now who are kind of in this like happy, rosy place. And then she finds out about this hack, you know, with the sex video and stuff, you know, and it's hard. I mean, I can't imagine being in such a scenario where something so deeply personal is put out into the world. And then, you know, to her point, like her family's going to see this, her friends are going to see this, the team, mm-hmm. her, like she's a boss, like her employees, like it, it's a lot. And so we've got kind of Jack's role in all of this. And so Jack, <laughs> Jack kind of jumping into um, to kind of, you know, oh, well, I'll take care of it. I'll fix it. Especially because she's like a billionaire that has all this power. Right. And she's been doing yeah. all these other gestures like, OK, great. You're going to take care of it. Yeah. And there was a lot of people who were like, well, Keely runs a PR agency. Shouldn't she know what to do? And why does she need to rely on Jack? True. But I kind of feel like if you are in the midst of something like this happening, yep. you're not thinking straight. Like, yep. 
You you probably are looking for anybody to step in to kind of help. And so I'm not surprised that she kind of had that kind of reaction. Like your mind just goes off, right? You're in a million different places. And so, but Jack's way of fixing it is to initially go to her dad, her lawyer, his lawyers get involved and they basically want Keely to apologize and really like make her feel kind of like what, you know, that she needs to feel shame for what she's done mm-hmm. um, and ask for forgiveness. And so I thought, yeah, like, I thought that was interesting. I also thought like this whole time Jack's kind of jumping in, you know, and then Keely goes to see Rebecca. The statement itself was actually not even given to her by Jack, right? It was given to her by Barbara. Right. And Barbara, um, I don't know, like what I I kind of felt like she had some like she was kind of sympathetic towards Keely's situation. Oh, did you get that impression? No, (laughs) really? No. I mean, Barbara was Barbara was Barbara. Barbara was just like, I told you so. Like, this is this is the problem with, you know, being the way you are. Well, there's a few things, right? I think, first of all, I think the storyline is really important. Mm-hmm. because this has probably happened to a significant amount of people, mm-hmm. you know, where they've shared something. And yes, you can easily be like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't have made it in the first place. But if you're especially making something specifically for somebody, you trust that they're not going to share it or you trust that it's never going to get out. Right. So I think that was like brave to even go down this like rabbit hole because mm-hmm. you really don't in the middle of this season. You can talk about so many other things, but they were like, yo, let's do this. Yeah. So that was respectful. Yeah. And I thought that was important. Can't read with Barbara. So I don't really know where she stood. Yeah. But the vibe, um, the vibe that I was getting the whole time was from your favorite person, Jack, which you're just such a huge fan. <laughs> You know, so you were like, if people I told can't you, hear, can if hear people can't hear the sarcasm in Jeff's voice, I could hear it in my head. You're like, I told you, I told you, I told you, right? I knew it was going to. But yeah, she's like, be she's embarrassed, dude. Like yeah. the she's embarrassed to give the letter. She's embarrassed to take her to the the what is it? The polo, the polo she, match. Yeah, she's embarrassed to introduce her as her girlfriend, some random person at the golf course or not even the golf course, the mini golf course. Like she's embarrassed. And, you know, actions speak louder than words. Right. And right now her actions are a certain way and it and it it kind of comes full circle when she's like like i'm gonna leave and she's like are you coming back she's like i don't know yeah and i understand where jack stands right she's like listen in order to keep this house of cards going this billionaire house of cards going this is the game you play yeah compromise who you are yeah and keely when she's hanging out with rebecca rebecca's just like dude you shouldn't apologize for any of that stuff. Like that was for personal use. And frankly, the silver lining, some people might learn from this, right? Like that's the, <laughs> like the fact that she's willing to like embrace all of her rather than being like, you need to compromise a part of you and just suck it up because that, and yeah, you know, for the good of the team, right. Or for the good of, of the PR agency or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And and this gets into your whole power thing of now it's just like she's fighting with her boss. Yeah. And that's dangerous. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and this whole storyline also made me think about how sometimes we um, we repeat patterns, right? Like we've talked about this before, where we repeat things over and over until we either make a different choice or we, you know, we have a lesson we need to learn from it or something. And we learn in that exchange with Rebecca that this has happened to Keely before, back when she was 15, mm-hmm. at the hands of a teacher, no less, um, which I don't know. <laughs> It was kind of nonchalant the way they kind of threw that in. But, right. but you know, she makes the point that there are tons of topless photos of me online, but those were my choice. Yeah. And so going back to this idea of agency, right? And in this whole process, you know, at the beginning, sure, like she was upset and, and Jack was like, I'll fix it. But as we moved forward, like Jack didn't ask Keely, you know, like, how do you want to handle this? What do you want to do? But the contrast with her conversation with Rebecca, right? So Rebecca gives her all kinds of agency. Like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to say this? Right. 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 So I thought that that was kind of interesting. And then I really like, I felt like this was like a parallel to what was happening in that season one episode for the children, the one with the gala, because even like (laughs) Jack shows up. So, you know, so Keely's got her, um, polka dot dress on that's kind of reminds you of pretty woman where when julia roberts is going to go to the polo match she's got that polka dot dress on and like so keely's got her her uh polka dot dress on and when they go play mini golf jack shows up in this suit with no shirt just like jamie did for the um children's gala right oh interesting i didn't even pick that up great call that the whole reason she broke up with him at that time was accountability. She said, accountability matters, right? Yep. And so we watch as Jack goes through this process. And when Keely, like, I was really proud of Keely for like standing up for herself and saying, I'm not going to say it. And, yep. and, and also calling her out to say, you know, when she, when she brought it up, uh, she, Jack says, Oh, you know, I called my dad and he got his lawyers involved and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Keely doesn't let her off the hook. She says, well, yeah, but you still had Barbara give it to me. And instead of taking accountability, Jack makes a joke, which is what Jamie used to do as well, right? And so then we go through this whole thing. And then when you know we get to the reality of, yeah, Jack is embarrassed by it because she won't even introduce Keely as her girlfriend now. She's introducing her to her friends as her friend. Yep. And so when Keely again stands up for herself and says, no, like, I'm not going to sign it again, there's no accountability from Jack about, yeah. you know, like, yeah, you know what? I I will support you or I shouldn't mm-hmm. have just made this assumption or anything like that. But instead, she doubles down on, well, you know, it's not a great look when someone I'm seeing and whose company I'm funding has a porno online, which like she jumps to that space. Yep. And this, OK, going back to why you know, employers and employees should not be dating. <laughs> like there are the power dynamic difference in dating um, because now it leaves every, if I was Keely that I'd really be wondering like, well, what's going to happen to my business now? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And what's interesting, what she asks Rebecca to do, because I don't think Jack ever really asks Keely what she wants. No, she doesn't. Right. And Rebecca asks her what she wants. And Keely says, and I love that she goes, restructuring society so women aren't constantly sexualized while simultaneously crucified for being sexual. Yeah. And that's the part that I I think is is so powerful about this storyline is this idea of, you know, there's such a contradiction 
you know, with dudes where they are constantly uh, putting women to these certain standards, but then not having that for themselves. And I thought it was a really interesting. It was hard to follow, but it was a really interesting conversation that the team had about the photos, right? And like whether to keep them or whether not to keep them and all that stuff. But I think this is one of the only shows where I've seen a group of men talking about it in a way of like, you know, this is actually wrong. And what if we were in put in that same situation? And usually you don't hear that from men. So that's the part that I'm. Well, especially in a locker room, right? Like, especially in a locker room. Yeah. Talking about like consent and talking about like, even when they talked about going to the strip club and they were like, I don't want to go to that. Like, that's kind of weird and gross. Right. Like yeah. the fact that they're addressing this in a way yeah. of like, why are we constantly sexualizing uh, women in that way? Yeah. So let's talk about that. The team discussion. Like, I really thought it was a lot about like privacy, digital intimacy mm-hmm. and consent. Right. I mean, I thought it was interesting that Isaac like <laughs> makes this determination that everyone's going to delete everything. Yeah. It's a bit extreme. It's a bit extreme. Like, why am I deleting pictures of? Is, are they deleting pictures of everything or pictures of? You know, so Jamie and like their family, Sam, not pictures. No, of their no, family. no, 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 not. Oh, just of pictures family. of like anyone women they've dated. So like people have dated. Got it. People that they've dated. Okay. And this was interesting. So this idea of like I've I've read this term digital intimacy before, right? And I, I've never thought about it in this way, though, because like Jamie says, he always just deletes everything yeah. after a relationship. Sam says that he always gives the woman his phone and invites her to delete whatever she wants. And I never really thought about that because we are in a very interesting age now with cell phones yeah. and and things yeah. like that. Right. That I started writing a an essay about this um, because I think. Digital intimacy is so interesting in that it can also serve to keep us stuck in, especially like past relationships and stuff. So, for example, I was dating this guy um, for a a long time and I was on his family's like picture group, you know? Yeah. Uh, Like the uh, whatever shared photo group. Yep. And after we broke up, almost six, eight months later, I was at my computer one day and all of a sudden, like all these pictures started popping up on my my computer. And, you know, and it was with it was of him with his family and a new person and and all this work that I had done up to that point to like mm-hmm. move on and and start to let go, like everything came flooding back, right? Yep. And so this idea of not just like the photos we take and stuff like that, but the the things that we invite people into, right? So these groups and things like that. So I thought that was actually really interesting, you know. And Danny's point about like it's not the law; it's about doing what's right. Mm-hmm. But there's differing views on that. Like Colin's point about like, you know, am I supposed to erase my memories too? Like, yeah. you know, like it. And so I think it's it's a very gray area. You know, I think that there's a lot of debate on both sides. And so I agree. I think it was really interesting that they chose to take on this topic. And it was in such a short amount of time, too, because it was just like that conversation within the team. And that's it, you know. And to take on this topic in the middle of the season. Right. Yeah. That part was great. Yeah. I thought it was a, a, a subject worth exploring. So I thought that was really great. Oh, yeah, for sure. What, for sure. What I was fascinated by was uh, what did you think of when they were deleting their photos, which was interesting 
that they spent that much time just watching them delete them. <laughs> I so I was like, this is weird. This is like, they're like they're going through, you know, and you've been watching the French guy being like the French sisters, the Spanish twins, the yeah. mom and daughter in Mexico. I'm like, oh, my gosh, goodness. Well, goodness. but the one guy said we're going to be here forever. We're professional footballers, I you know? know, so, yeah. But what did you think of? Colin walking away and then Isaac yeah. coming over to him and being like, hey, I told you everyone's doing it. And then he grabs his phone. Like, what did you think of that? I mean, I, th- I felt like it was over the line for sure. It's one thing for Isaac to make this mandate for everybody. Yeah. It's another to like physically you know, take someone's phone. And yeah, I think, I mean, I think Colin was doing it. I think he just wanted privacy because of what was on his phone. Right. And, but I think it was also um, obviously like designed to set us up for next week. Like they needed something to get us to the point for them to have this discussion next week. And Oh, that's what you think. I get it. I don't think Isaac's going to be upset that, Colin's gay. Like, I think he's upset that they've been such good friends and that he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Yeah. 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 That's my take on it. But yeah, and there were there were little like moments like Jamie looking at Will as he's deleting because Will's got so much. Well, because, well, I mean, Will, Will, Will may have had a threesome in Amsterdam. We don't know. Will may have had a threesome recently. Like, you got to (laughs) understand Will's out there. Will, Will's getting it. Well, let's put it in it. But I did think that this team um, discussion did carry through that theme of accountability and, and agency as well, right? Because yeah. it's about being accountable. Like, so when Sam mentions, oh, you know, Keely was one of the people who got hacked, you see Roy kind of get upset, walk away. And then you see Jamie starting to look a little worried. Um, and that starts, you know, his kind of arc on accountability. But just the fact that the team is talking about all of this and then the agency of, you know, having the people you've dated choose whether, you know, what you can keep and, and that kind of thing. So I just I thought it was really interesting. I also thought it was really powerful how the team kind of rallied around like they were talking about it in the hypothetical sense until they found out it was Keely, And then everyone got quiet. Yeah. Because then they're like, we know somebody yeah. that is going through this. So everyone all right now do do this because you don't want to do yeah you don't want to do what happened to keely to somebody else yeah and i thought that was really impressive yeah when we look at the contrast between jamie and roy right so Mm. jamie again going back to season one when he had zero accountability he would just come over to her house so that she could yeah he would come over to her house so he could sleep with her but even in that that particular episode, you know, where they're at the gala and um, and Keely takes accountability for messing with Roy. And that's like where that first spark happens between Roy and Keely is is on this issue of accountability. And you have Jamie who didn't understand, like, why this was important. Right. And now coming full circle, you've got Jamie showing up at Keely's house. So let's OK, for, let's talk about Roy first. So yeah. Roy comes out. Starts out saying all the things that Roy, the Roy we know would typically say, right? I'm so sorry. This sucks. I'm so sorry. Are you okay? I heard what happened. Like all the things that that Roy typically does. And then you see kind of there's this hesitation. And then he says, who was it for? Yeah. I thought he was going to say something nice. Yeah. I think most people. (laughs) Yeah. And, And then he, 
Yeah. Then he just asks too much. Right. Like, yeah. So what was your take on that? Well, it's it's the idea of like and I think I even I've I've made this mistake where your curiosity gets the bet better of you. And also you don't realize that that question is what everyone in the media is asking as well. Like it's it's an invasive like the person has already had an invasion of privacy and then you on top of it also want to know rather than respecting the person's privacy when they've just gotten violated. And a similar thing happened to me and a friend of mine because they were connected to some story in the news. And instead of me being a friend at the time being like, how are you doing and whatever it is, I was just like, I was interested in like how they were connected to the story in the news. I was like a media head, right? Or I was like, just like another like viewer, like a voyeur being like, oh, I want to know. And that just was not what that person needed at the time. And I think from his standpoint, the reason why he asked was because he was jealous and being like thinking it's thinking it's Jamie and he wants to know kind of the way like Ted wants to know what's going to happen in Paris, like this curiosity. And also it's like it's not relevant. It's not relevant to you, dude. Like it's not. Yeah, this is not about you. And he made it about him. And that was the that was the mistake. Yeah, it's almost like I'm going to support you, but it's conditional. And there's like an element of judgment and shame that comes in with asking the question. And it's interesting because, you know, Roy in the past, like we've seen that he is very supportive of women and he's willing to be accountable when he screws up. So like, for example, in the episode Headspace, where (laughs) he wouldn't leave Keely's side, Um, When he realized what he was doing, like, you know, he uh, backtracked and he fixed it and and showed up ready to do better. But what what really came up for me in this is that, you know, Roy is in a really, really deep hole of insecurity right now. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I'm not like making excuses for him or justifying what he did. But like when we are in that place of insecurity, I think we are susceptible to making mistakes like this, right? Yeah. And so, again, just like I always recognize Nate's humanity, (laughs) I can really see Roy's humanity in this moment. And we've all been here where we we say the thing. And as soon as we say it, we know like, oh, man, like I like we know he screwed up. And he did. He knew as soon as he said it, he knew he shouldn't have. And so even those of us who are doing the work and trying to be open and be the best that we can be and, you know, be inclusive. And like, we still, we still screw up from time to time. And so I think for me, like this was very much watching that happen. Yeah. Then you had Jamie on the other end where, so now like Keely's dealt with Roy's kind of judgment. She's dealt with the public's judgment. She's dealt with Jack's judgment and she's probably dealing with her own judgment to a pretty big extent. And so next morning, and then Jamie shows up and he's a hundred percent just like wanting to take accountability for his role. Yeah. In not securing his email, even though he thought he was clever with putting two word two S's in the password. That's all she ever wanted from him from the beginning was accountability. And so I feel like that came full circle where we saw him finally understanding what that means and showing up without any expectation, without mm-hmm. um, making it about himself, but really to just be like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And in that moment, that was what she needed, you know, was someone to just like give her that 
And so, yeah, I thought that that was actually a really nice way to bring all of that together. Yeah. Just that feeling of not having to feel shame and not having to feel judgment. Right. Yeah. And that ties back into my favorite attunement and play, because when you're in that space, then you don't feel you feel welcomed. And the only two times I think Keely felt seen was with Rebecca and Jamie. Those are the only two times. So let's shift and talk about Ted, because Ted is also in my like, I think Ted and Roy had a lot of parallels in this episode because Ted is also in this massive hole of insecurity in his relationship with Michelle. Right. And it's impacting everything. (laughs) So the team as. And it's interesting that you say relationship with Michelle, because they don't really have that much of a relationship anymore. Their relationship is the the one between the their kid. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think they don't have a romantic relationship, but the yeah. fact that they have a kid, you're right. It, it is about the kid, but they still have a relationship. They still have something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but you can't late. You, yeah. I mean, I think it's still a relationship, though. I know you just can't label it, though, because like even when the diamond dog thing happened, where it was just like, uh, you know, they all gathered and uh, was it Higgins comes in and says, like, you know, I think he's going to ask for her, her hand in marriage or whatever it is in Paris. And he's like, did he ask you for permission? <laughs> like, like, he's like, I'm not a, the father. I'm, I'm the ex-husband. Like, it's not we don't have a label anymore, you know? Yeah, but I'm not labeling it. I'm not. I'm just saying it's still a relationship. Like two yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. in, you know, in that space is still a relationship. It may have shifted in terms of what that means, but it's still. Yeah, I think that the the term is still applicable. At least that's what that's how I feel. But I guess what I'm saying is it's ambiguous. Like you don't know where they stand. Right. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. But I think that there's. Like relationships also exist on um, a continuum. So, mm-hmm. right. So like there's so many different ways that you can be in relationship. But when you have a relation to somebody for some reason, like there's a relationship there. It's funny that like the team is doing so well and we see that they've like won all these games now and stuff. And Ted should be happy. And yet when we find when we do see him, he's just miserable and he's sitting across from Michelle and Jake, Dr. Jacob. It's awkward. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just super awkward. And like the whole thing with like Henry wanting money and both of them reaching for their um, pockets. And, you know, like it's just really, really awkward. And and then Dr. Jacob's like, oh, just call me Jake. And I understand Ted's point. Like it probably feels really weird. Like that that's not how he knows him. But I was going to say, like, it was really interesting to watch like the connection that does still exist between Ted and Michelle, like the little jokes that they're able to tell each other and just, you know, even like how they are with each other in that moment. But we find out that Michelle just found out that Jake is actually taking her to Paris. And as Ted says, the default Paris after he lists all the other Parises around. Yeah. I I just, I don't know what did, what came up for you as you were watching that part of it? Regret that he never took her. Right. There's that part. I think there's also him trying to really understand, you know, 
where their relationship is at and if there's still a possibility mm-hmm. because the, they do still have so many of their quips yeah. together. They still have so many of their jokes together and they literally are are playing at some points, you know, with their verbiage. And it's ironic because probably the last time those three sat together was to save the their relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, and now they're sitting at a table and he's like, call me Jake, which is like, no, dude, like this is messed up. Like this is still yeah. messed up. Like this yeah. is still not cool. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. So yeah, that that just seemed that's why I felt like it was so awkward. It was just like, dude, we've never sat together and now we're sitting together and you're about to potentially ask my ex-wife for a hand in marriage after you potentially broke up our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. As the therapist, which is mm-hmm. against so many, uh, I don't know, HIPAA rules or whatever it is. Like there's so many, I'm sure there's a lot of rules around ethics. That, it's so. like ethics yeah. rules. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But they keep leaning on the fact that like, there's still chemistry between him and Michelle, man. Did you feel that? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I did that the whole season. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So Ted makes a lot of assumptions here. And this is very natural, right? Because, again, our brain doesn't like being in a space of not knowing. And so it decides it's going to fill in the story for us. And we talked about this last week, I think, around this idea of Uh, best case, worst case, most likely scenarios, right? And when given the option, our brain is always, almost always going to jump to the worst case scenario. And in this case, the worst case scenario for Ted is this man proposing to his ex-wife. And he starts the discussion with the guys, the the coaches, by saying, Dr. Jacob's going to propose to Michelle. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, and and Roy, of all people, again, showing kind of his growth in this way, says, oh, well, do you want to talk about it? I'm kind of begrudgingly, but he does say it. And so Beard calls all the Diamond Dogs together. I thought that that was like Higgins running was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, that was so cute. <laughs> like running to get nice. there. <laughs> you know, so they they all start to ask him, like, well, how did you find out and whatnot? Well, oh, and also... Trent Cram officially becomes a diamond dog, which is, I, which, uh, which is a big deal, yeah. which is a big deal ever since last episode when he was just like, I get total football. Yeah, this guy is bought in. Notice yeah. his outfit is much more relaxed, too. He's like he's in it. He even he even woofs at one point, which is hilarious at the end. Yeah, where they're all howling. He says woof. And I thought that was so adorable. But yeah, but so he is the one to kind of, he says, oh, well, can I say anything anytime? And everyone's like, yes. And he says, you know, you can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet. And then Higgins chimes in with, you need to find out before you flip out. And I thought that was just like such great advice, right? Because yeah, like we spend so much of our life either ruminating about things that have happened in the past that we can't like fix or change now, or... What's even worse oftentimes, though, is thinking about stuff in the future that hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. And so we create all kinds of, you know, what if scenarios. And so a lot of like when when I teach my module on pain, we talk a lot about 
a lot of the pain we experience is pain we create for ourselves because we can't keep ourselves in this moment. Like we are just so fixated on what might happen. And that uncertainty of whether it'll happen is, is what gives us that anxiety and that, you know, like leads us down this path. And so then to Rebecca's point, when um, Ted, you know, finally calls or talks to Rebecca when, when they're at the pub, you know, you miss out on so much of life that's happening right now. Right. And then you have regrets about that. So like, you know, um, so it becomes like this kind of never ending circle of just, you know, regret and pain, regret and pain, regret and shame, regret and pain, you know. And I think of the quote, worry, um, worrying is a waste of your imagination. And I find, especially with adults, their their lack of ability to play is because they can't either get out of the past or they can't stop thinking about the future, mm-hmm. you know? And the whole point of play is to be fully present. And there's a lot of people that are like, I don't remember the last time I was fully present. You know, it's actually kind of scary yeah. to be present. It's much more vulnerable to be present. Yeah. Oh, no, because I was just thinking then, you know, in Ted's case, like he's literally missing a moment of Hey Jude with his kid because he wants to know about a what if that might have happened in Paris, which in the end, he doesn't even find out. Yeah, he doesn't even learn what it is because he realizes it's not that uh, big of a deal. But yeah, I wonder about the amount of time or this would put out to the listeners how much time have each of us spent thinking about something that never actually happened Mm -hmm. and how much suffering. I mean, I remember talking to a friend once who went to retreat and the whole point of the retreat was to be fully present in the moment, but instead they just ruminated about some person that happened to be at the retreat the whole time that they never actually did any of the work they were supposed to do about practicing being present because they were obsessed with the story of what might happen with somebody else. And it's just like, man, that is just exhausting Mm -hmm. because then you finally see that person. Then you're like, I had this whole relationship with you and you don't know about it. Yeah. And also like that feeling of a lot of times when we're like the foreboding joy that we've talked about, right, where we're in this moment, things are going really well and we're automatically jumping to like, oh, I'm going to feel terrible when this ends or, you know, or something's going to happen that's going to take. And and instead we're missing out on like this incredible moment or experience or or whatever. And it just it takes away from the joy, you know? Yeah. I mean, he should be joyful that he's won four games, right? He should be joyful that there's like they're finally clicking. Total football is working like all the things, all of the work that he's put in so far, you know, for the last three seasons is finally paying off and he can't even see it. He can't even see it because he's instead at a pub watching his ex therapist with his ex-wife eating breakfast. <laughs> yeah. And and one of the things that we know, you know, Ted with this whole his relationship with his father was he didn't ever want to quit on his son, you know, and mm. but by not being present, you know, so Henry's there, they're giving him the option, you know, like what do you want to do? He's reading to Henry. And this was where I felt like there was a little bit more parallel with Roy is um, as they're reading. So the book that they're reading is um, The Breakfast Club Adventures, The Beast Beyond the Fence by Marcus Rashford, 
who's one of the um, Manchester United players, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? I was like, he's an author. I was like, okay. Yeah, apparently he has a whole series of that's awesome. um, books. Yeah, it's this was the third actually in his series of Marcus Rashford Book Club. But yeah, like he can't help but go there and ask the questions about, you know, like Henry says, you know, did you know I have more air miles than any other kid in my school? And I felt like sorry for him and felt like he was kind of sad as he was saying. I didn't feel like that was uh-huh. like, a, hey, guess what? And, yeah. it's, you know, and, and Ted, like it, it glosses right by him. And it kind of reminded me of like all the stuff that was happening with Nate last season where mm. Ted was missing things, right? Because at that point he was focused on Henry, right? He was worried about Henry and stuff like that. So he wasn't present. And here he's with his son and he's thinking about like, oh, what's it like when Jake is there with his family and and things like that, right? And same thing where as soon as he says it, he realizes like, oh, I shouldn't have asked that, you know? Yeah. So maybe that's another theme, right? This similar to Roy, I shouldn't have asked that. I shouldn't have said that. Like, there's something about like that curiosity that is not going. It's a curiosity that's, I don't know. It feels like a greedy curiosity of like, if I only knew more information then I could control the situation. Well, but it's not a true curiosity, right? No, it's, it's not. Like a curiosity not. is like, you're going at it with that's true. a totally open, no, you know, like I'm not looking for any particular answer. How would you describe it then? Because it's not, is it, uh, because it's like gossip. It's like a, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, let me know if you felt this, but I've done meant much gossip in my day, especially like at work and stuff like that. And at the time, you're like, yeah, yeah. And you like talking about it. And you're like, oh, my gosh, can't believe this person. I don't believe this. But you never feel good about it afterwards. Yeah, like you feel icky about it. Like you've eaten way too much Cheetos or, you know, binge watched way too much Netflix. You're like on the ninth hour, you know, um, yeah. so. Yeah, what is it? It's not curiosity, but it's... Again, when we're in that place of insecurity, we want people to validate our... Validate us. You know, like our thoughts are, you know, what we believe rather than... Like, it's the opposite of curiosity, you know? Yeah. What is the opposite of curiosity, though? You know, because because he wants to investigate. He's willing to pay a private investigator to follow them around. <laughs> like, what is that? That there's clearly, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's... it's fear. It's like it's fear. It's desperation. It's uh, again a nervous system reaction, right? Yeah. It's almost like if only he knew this information beforehand, before she tells him, it won't hurt as much. Yeah. Well, and even with that, when he goes to Rebecca, he says, "I need to find out if I'm right, so I don't flip out when I found out when I find out I am." Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not what Higgins said. Yeah. Higgins said, find out before you flip out. And he's going in already assuming that he's right and he needs to confirm it so that he won't flip out when it's confirmed. Right. It's like creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. It kind of reminds me, I think I might have shared this before, but reminds me of this story. I think Brene Brown shared of this guy who said, you know, he always was worried about, you know, like being joyful in the moment with his wife, because, you know, if it was ever taken away from them, then, you know, he would he would be so sad. And instead, like he wanted to prepare for himself just in case she ever like disappeared or something happened to her. And then she did die. 
And when he went up to Brene, he was like, I've prepared my whole life for this moment and it did not prepare me. I've been worried the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that worry did not, you know, get me ready for this at all. And I think that's a part. It can't. Yeah, it can't. Because you don't know. You don't know right. how it's going to feel in that moment. We make, again, we make up all these things. And, you know, this, to your point, this idea of preparation, but like, until we are in that moment, we have no idea what it's actually going to feel like or what we're going to experience or whatever, you know? So maybe the opposite of curiosity is the control, right? It's this control, controlling of information and wanting to control it. And yeah, I mean, and you see that theme between, you know, with Keely and you see that same theme with Ted. Yeah. And so Henry's there. I love that Beard is spending the day with them. I know. That's so cute. And he's playing a very important role, too. Yeah. And even in the last episode, when or two episodes, like I can't remember the bullying episode, but like his initial instinct was to like protect Henry, you know? And I, I really love that. I love seeing that side of their relationship and how close he is to this family. You know, they go to the West Ham game grudgingly. <laughs> Beard is not excited. Well, it's it's... also interesting that Beard goes back to get his outfit. Oh, yeah. But Ted does not. Ted is not. Well, Ted, Ted had his um, Richmond jacket on. No. If you look at the photo, it's just a standard jacket. Oh, it's his plain one. I thought it was the Richmond one. Okay, it was a plain one. Yeah. That's why it was an interesting picture, because it was like Ted with nothing. And then Henry wearing West Ham colors, which is blasphemy, right? <laughs> and then Coach La- Coach Beard being like, well, "What are we doing here?" Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that May. Like May is just like, then you don't drink here. Like, dude, May is. She's not even. She doesn't care that he's a kid. She's just no. Like, she doesn't. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, she's losing business because of, <laughs> you know. So yeah. 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 But yeah, so Ted is so preoccupied that even when Henry points out like, hey, dad, listen, you know, he's like, what? And he's like, it's the Beatles. And that's their thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And and Ted is just like, oh, yeah, okay. Like he. Yeah, I got to go take this. And then, yeah. And then Rebecca texts him and he's he leaves. And the whole time you see Henry just looking at Ted really longingly and like. Yeah. And so I love this kind of this interaction between Beard and Henry was one of my favorites. um, Mm -hmm. I think. True. You know, just the way that he explained, like he he gets it. He can see what Henry is experiencing. And and it's just beautiful that the busker or who is Alex Vargas, he's a musician, Happens to be playing Hey Jude. So I love that. Yeah. And so like this whole this whole thing about how the backstory of the song applies directly to what Henry is experiencing. I love how Coach Beard talks to that kid mm-hmm. because he doesn't talk to him like he's a kid. Yeah. Like he doesn't talk to him. I mean, he doesn't like talk down to him. Like he yeah. talks to him like a, like a human being, like not like an adult, but like, hey, you know, you know, and and giving context to not only the song, but then also is like, hey, you know, like you're in the middle of a sad song. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. And it sucks. And that's great. And then what did he say? It's like it's literally listed in the in the name. I even wrote this part down. Um, Yeah, you're you. Know, but I know it is a sad song, but you have the power to make it better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's so good. And then even even Henry does a little Ted Coy like. I like that, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then they go to the na 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 na. 
na 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 na. Yeah, which is beautiful. And I love that Ted got back there in time to actually enjoy a little bit of that. Find a little bit of that, right? So he didn't miss out on that. This took me back. My dad loved the Beatles. We had all the original um, like vinyl records. And on Saturday mornings, he'd like put the Beatles on and like he'd be singing along. And so Hey Jude was a big one in my house, which was actually so it was really fun to hear that. And I didn't know the the story behind it. But yeah. for people to, who don't know, it was released as a, a non-album single in 1968. And it was written by Paul McCartney to comfort John Lennon's son, Julian. And so the original title was Hey Jules, but they they ended up changing it to Hey Jude. Two things that I thought were interesting. Number one, for like the soccer piece of this um, or football piece of this, Brentford and Man City have used Hey Jude as their chant in the past. Um, And so there's a really interesting Salon.com article that we'll link about that. Apple Fitness Plus, they have this feature called Time to Walk, where like celebrities walk with you and they tell stories. And so Brendan Hunt, he does one and he talks about how his nickname when he was a kid was Nana. And his mom was a huge fan of the Beatles. And Hey Jude was a song that really meant something to him and his mom. And so at one point, his mom was really sick and she was hospitalized. And he ended up winning tickets to see Paul McCartney and Joshua Tree. He sang along to Hey Jude and really had a lovely time and stuff. And when he drove to the hospital afterwards to be with his mom, he got a phone call that she had passed away. And it turned out that Hey Jude was playing at the time when his son was born as well. And so um, this was actually something that um, someone in one of the Facebook groups had pointed out. And I just thought it was such a a really nice like um, tie-in for all of that, you know? I also thought it was pretty powerful that Ted is literally Rebecca asks him over the phone as the song is playing, you know, how come you never took her to Paris, you know, Michelle to Paris? And he's like, always thought I had more time. And it's ironic that he's like, always thought I had more time as Henry sitting there and he's not yeah. experiencing that time. Exactly. And it it made me think of like, I think I saw a study or something like that, that you know, by the time your kids, if you have a kid, you know, they reach the age of 18, 90 percent of your time spent with them is between that zero to 18 mark. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's not that much time. So it's just like this is crucial, dude. Yeah. especially because they live in different countries right now. And, you know, yeah. And he's yeah. on the phone right now talking about whatever, which is not really relevant. So, yeah. yeah. What was interesting is Rebecca did go through that list of all the reasons people go to Paris and stuff like that. And so that, again, is like that best case, worst case, most likely. So uh-huh. she's you know giving him all these other reasons why people go. And then finally, she's just like, you know, who cares? Like, yeah, who cares if she gets engaged? Like, you have something more important. And so, yeah, so like all the regret that he feels at not having gone, you know, he's then going to feel at not having spent time with his Uh son. And so, Uh yeah, yeah, no, it was really, really lovely. And so, yeah, so then he finally gets it, goes back, spends time with him. And then by then the weekend's over and Michelle's back to pick up Henry. They didn't have a good time. They didn't have a good time. Yeah, right. She did not. Yeah, he he's like a weirdo. You could get the vibe. I don't know. I, I've got on, uh, you know, travel dates with people and it gives off that vibe. You yeah. Know, where you're like, you're like, it was all right. Like, you don't say it's all right about Paris. It's Paris. Exactly. Paris, dude. 
And he says that. So it's, yeah, it's the city of all rights. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then what's up with with uh, Henry not even giving Dr. Jacobs the pound when like. Yeah. So like it, it, there's starting to be some cracks in the armor of like the perfect story or perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting when Michelle um, grabs or, you know, goes to get the backpack from Ted, he doesn't let go. And we see that she grabs with her left hand, which is if she would have gotten engaged, the ring would have been on that hand. Oh, that I was wondering why they zoomed in on that. I did not pick that up. Oh, and it was empty. Yeah. And so there's a lot of speculation that he asked and she said no. Oh, whether he did or not. I don't know. But like. But again, it's not relevant, right? It's not. Re- it's not relevant. Yeah. And when she goes outside, he goes to goes in for a hug and she pushes the back fat forward and asks him to get in on the other side of the car. Right. And so. Yeah. And then she turns and looks up knowing Ted's going to be watching or I don't know. Maybe she, I don't know if she knew or not, but like. Again, yeah. we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, part of the curiosity of it, right? But you get the impression that he also is left with a little bit of like, huh. Like as he walks away, he's like in thought about like, what was that little exchange, you know? Well, they've been dropping that seed for a while. That <laughs> there still is some love between them. And also they've been dropping that seed of him wanting to go back to Kansas City. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. All those for references. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. So, it's leaning towards something. You know, but like like they said, these writers are not cliché, so who knows. Yeah. So yeah, so that I thought that was really nicely done. And then um let's talk about Nate. So, this one for me, I for me, I saw a lot of Nate's loneliness actually coming out and so much. <laughs> oh. The hound dogs. What was it? The wooly. The love hounds. The The love love hounds. Oh, well, first off, he slept with Jay. Can we celebrate the fact? Yeah, I know. But it's it's weird because we didn't get like any of the middle part. Right. Like we got like his like pursuing her. And then now he's got her. Like We don't see any of like. But also a part of me wouldn't want to see that. Like seeing Nate in that way, just. It's, yeah. Even watching him kiss, I'm kind of like weirded out. But that, that's Aww. just me. That's just me. That's just me. I don't know. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Like, uh, but yeah, so he, you know, he's still nervous. He's still like, he's still so unsure. Nervous. Like, well, do, do you want to have breakfast? Do you, you know? And and she's like, yeah, let's, you know, like she she's not ready to label things. He wants to like jump into that. Right. Well, can we just talk about the fact that he took a whole shower? Yeah. <laughs> Brushed his teeth, teeth and then put his jammies back on, maybe new jammies, and then pretended he was sleeping. And use like, the toilet next lot. door. He used the toilet next door. Use the toilet next door. <laughs> like that is a lot. And she's just like, yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. You know? She's like, she's like, again, I don't like you for the perfection, right? She like just breathes right in his face. He's like, does my breath smell? You know, like she does not care. But yeah, he's still in that perfectionist mode. Yeah. But this love hounds was an interesting thing because, um, oh my gosh, for a variety of reasons. But yeah, you know, Nate is trying to bring that sense of camaraderie to West Ham that he experienced at Richmond, but he doesn't quite know how, right? Well, he hasn't done any of the work. Right. It's funny. This reminded me of when I was uh, working at a organization. The person that was that I was reporting to me 
was having trouble connecting with their staff. So we read Daring Greatly together. We read the book and we tried to implement the stuff, but it was hilarious in, re in retrospect, but it was just watching him trying to, was it trying to be vulnerable without having to put in any of the thousand of imperceptible moments, right? Like yes. he hadn't done any of the work and then was just like, hey, everyone, let's start. And it's just like, he has no relationship with either of those people. We've never met those people. We didn't even know their names until that day. No, we've met them. I mean, Disco is the assistant coach, so we've met him. Like, I don't remember his name at all. Yeah, no, we talked about Disco. Like, when we first met Disco, he was out there. He's saying... When he said, oh, my name may be Disco, but this is not oh, yeah. a party. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And then the yeah. other guy we've met because he's the one who. Oh, he like says hello. Yeah. And Nate shuts him down. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I feel like that, I'm like, like, we haven't really gotten to know them besides. True. Like, Beyond that. Besides, yeah, you're like, right. You're right. Literally 10 second clips that I don't even agreed. Remember, agreed. Right? Agreed. Yeah. So then, you know, and then now they're like, hey, you know it's also mandatory that you come over here. So there's so much like even how he set it up is not set up in a way where vulnerability can even be because he hasn't built the playground. He hasn't built the safe space for them to even share. And then even though it's not safe, that guy starts to share. He's like, well, I'd love to talk about my aging parents. And he's like, no, this is about me. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, oh, so there's so much there. And I've seen this over and over again with leaders where they force stuff when they haven't put in the work yet to have that. And he, he misses like the underlying purpose, right? Like the way he describes it is, well, so the way Beard describes the group to Trent Krim is, you know, we're a group of men committed to supporting each other by sharing our most intimate thoughts, feelings, and experiences. And the way that Nate describes it is, uh, I thought we men could get together whenever we needed to just talk and help each other out with the things that are going on in our personal lives. And so like, it's, it's a little like it's nuanced, but it's different. And, you know, whereas Ted always opens it up, you know, does anyone else want to share anything? Does anyone else want to talk about anything? This is like a hundred percent, like, you know, you're here to like, listen to my story, you know, or what help me figure out what I need. But he realizes very well, first of all, the fact that he thought Rupert would join them, I thought was hilarious because I was like, what? just like how what? oblivious. And also, I think there's there is a lack of understanding, too, that Coach Beard and Ted already have that relationship. Yeah. So they've already built that from when they played at Wichita State exactly. way back in the day. Exactly. So, so, but there's no buy-in from any of those guys. They don't even know why they're there. No, they think they're in trouble because that's the only relationship they've had with Nate so far right. is him yelling at everybody, right? And so to your point, like for him to now be like, okay, let's be vulnerable with each other. There's no way. And so to your point about like, this being in the workplace, like when we work with organizations and we talk about vulnerability in the workplace, it's no surprise that people are like, hell no, I'm not yeah. going to be vulnerable in my workplace because they haven't had, like you said, these, these thousands of imperceptible moments. And again, this is like creating that psychological safety is created in those little moments. It's a buildup of that. And so it's not just a one and done. And so, yeah, so it's not... Not surprising that this did not go well, <laughs> but this idea of loneliness. So like I've been 
following the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy for a really long time. And I know that in the past, I've talked about his book Together, which if people have not read it, it's fantastic. And he talks about, you know, in his first run, uh, like stint as Surgeon General under Obama's administration, he determined that we were experiencing this epidemic of loneliness in this country. And he reissued this advisory last week. And I'm going to link to the actual report that he put together or his team put together, which is really interesting. There's a lot of like really good stuff in there. But he talks about how loneliness is as deadly as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and is associated with a greater risk of um, cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, premature death. I talk about this a lot, that like the mental health is so tied to our physical health, our relational health, our spiritual health, our, you know, like it's all tied together. It's not just like we can compartmentalize and be like, all right, I'm going to be physically healthy because if you don't have that connection and that need for connection we have is so fundamental to who we are as human beings, going all the way back to, you know, our prehistoric ancestors and, and this idea that like we had to have each other to survive. It's it's part of our basic survival instinct. And so and loneliness comes in so many different forms. And so in the in the report like they go through and explain like different, you know, how this shows up in different ways. And so like it can be about the quality of of relationships you have. It can be about how much time you spend on your own versus in community, right? Like there's so many different ways. And so for me in looking at Nate, like his desire to create this love hound is this internal like feeling of wanting to be connected to something bigger again, something where he feels like he's part of a community, part of something where he belongs, right? And and that he's not getting that here necessarily. And and I think he thought by winning, by first going to West Ham and then winning, he would have that. Yeah. Right. And he doesn't have that. But I think I think it even brings up a bigger point about the level of loneliness, especially in men, uh-huh. you know, yeah, because the diamond dogs is really interesting because basically what it is, it's a men's circle. Yeah. And there's a lot of men who have never either heard of a men's circle or have ever been a part of a men's circle. And it's really vulnerable to be a part of one. you know, like yeah. uh, one of my friends in New York is currently running one and it's predominantly like people of color. And It's both challenging and also uplifting for men to be able to share, because when you think of men in groups, they usually are in groups if they're watching sports, playing sports or doing some, you know, or drinking or doing some activity, but sharing of experiences and feelings. Oh, no, like that is not something that is typically seen, you know, in this patriarchal society, especially for straight men. And this epidemic, especially in the U.S., of lonely men, um, which kind of then bleeds over to the whole like incel community where there's men that feel so lonely and feel angry at women because they are being rejected by women and don't know how to like cultivate emotional intelligence to even start talking to women. So they become even more and more lonely. And part of that same incel community is where, you know, there's a lot of of violence, you know, like this is where like the whole tie in with like mass shootings and things like that. Or I recently was watching this TikTok where they were talking about the loneliness in men, especially with 
white conservative men. And what they found is where do they find their community is in these these groups, you know, whether that's like the NRA or whether that's the, you know, Mm -hmm. QAnon or whether that's, you know, what uh, conservative right or whatever, incel Joe Rogan, Andrew Tate, however you want to do it, like that group, that manosphere. Mm -hmm. But what's ironic about being part of those groups is once you disagree with those groups, you will also again get ostracized and be alone again. This epidemic of loneliness in, in men ultimately turns into them um, like hurt people, hurt people. And then they start to uh, take that out on people that they see as not being lonely. They see that have community. And that's just, it's scary. It's scary and dangerous, but it's getting worse. Well, it's ironic because in some ways, like we've, you know, most of us have heard this idea that we're more connected than we've ever been because of technology. And yet we're lonelier than we've ever been right? uh, because it doesn't fill that void. And, and specifically what Surgeon General Murthy is talking about is social connection and social connection goes beyond, you know, just the number of close relationships we have. And they specifically talk about like three key components. So number one is the structure of those relationships. So the number of variety and frequency of interaction with others. And then the second piece is function. So the degree to which others can be relied upon for various needs. And so this goes to that idea of it's not just like a one-sided thing like, yeah. like Nate was creating. And then quality. So the degree to which relationships and interactions with others are positive, helpful, and satisfying versus negative, unhelpful, or unsatisfying, which goes to what you were just saying. So we're really looking at kind of those three things when we're thinking about like solid social connection, which really, you know, Nate is is missing a lot of that, right? Because his even like the the message he gets from Rupert about, you know, sorry, Ted, for Ted being here, like it won't happen again or something like that. Yeah. If you look above that, like his interaction with him is um, he sent him the lineup for the the game or whatever. Right. And or the match. And so the quality of his interaction with Rupert is is generally negative right? because yeah. he's like always kind of nervous and not able to be himself. Um, even in his response back, like he initially puts a response that feels very him or even uh-huh. when he was texting Jade, right? He first wrote, hi, babe. And then he's like, no, no, like, and he changed it. And so there's a lot of like where he can't be himself. And I'm sure, you know, the fact that he's looking for this this social connection means that the relationships he's in, they're not satisfying right now. You know, yeah. like he's he's not feeling that. And so even even though he's now dating. Even though like he's gotten, you know, he's gotten the great if you look at it from paper standpoint, right? Yeah. He's gotten the great job. His team is winning. He's gotten the girl, Mm -hmm. you know, like this should be the best time, right? He's getting acceptance from his parents, like, you know, and he's still not sure of himself because it's, you know, what I always go back to, right? It's it's perfection over play for him. Mm-hmm. And because it's perfection over play, like he doesn't know who he can be vulnerable with. And, yeah. and this reminds me of a, a TikTok that was going around where I think it was a, a a woman asked to men. She was just like, who do you who do you go to when you're in a really vulnerable spot where, you know, where you where you need a, you want to speak to someone? And 
thousands of men stitch the video and their answer were like, nobody. Mm-hmm. Like I have no one, you know, and I think that is just really sad and also powerful that that's where a lot of people are at, which is really sad. Yeah. And then, you know, going back to this idea of not being present. So, you know, Nate and Jade are at home and and you can tell she's very comfortable in his face. Yeah. Or, or I think they're in his face. And then she asks, well, you know, you want to go out and celebrate? And he's like, celebrate what? Right. Like he doesn't even realize like and he's so distracted, like she's there. She's got the wine, like all this stuff. And he's like looking at the screen. He's like, I'm already I'm already on to the next one for all of Jade's like how she was with him at the beginning. Again, I think it was very much a reaction to her not liking that he was so disingenuous about who he was. Um, But I feel like she brings out some good things. Right. And so she says, you should enjoy your victories. And it really reminded me of how we go through life so quickly. And when I first um, went to get trained on facilitating this MP course, part of it was going on this mindful hike. And did I already tell this story? I'm really sorry if I'm repeating this, but a part of the mindful hike was that you you did this hike in silence and mm. you were meant to just listen to your own thoughts, listen to your body, you know, that kind of thing. And then the last instruction he gave was when you get to the top, I want you to sit up there for at least five minutes and savor the accomplishment of, of making it to the top by being quiet and just, you know, doing this on your own. And there's so many things that happen in our day-to-day lives that we don't savor those little moments. We don't savor those little wins. And I was thinking like, I finished writing a freaking book, like a real book that's going to be like 275 pages, you know? And it wasn't until someone asked me recently, like, well, what did you do to celebrate that? I was like, oh, I I didn't actually do anything because I moved right on into like, oh, now I got to work on editing and I got to do this and I got to do that. And we don't stop, you know, to just take those little moments and feel the joy in that particular thing, you know? And so, yeah. And so, yeah, again, I love this idea of just not getting stuck in the past or caught up in a future that hasn't happened, but just being in the now. And it's so much easier said than done, you know? Yeah. There's a play mentor of mine, Gwen Gordon, who used to actually work on Sesame Street. She's pretty awesome. Check her out on, she did a TED talk a while back, but she has a savoring exercise that I still do whenever Mm. I've accomplished something like, like done a really good talk with somebody where you savor the savor. So you describe, so let's say I, I did, I remember, I remember recently doing this with someone I was doing a joint talk with. So what we did is right after the talk was over, we talked about it and we're like, what did you love about it? Oh, well, I love that. They were so excited. Oh my gosh. I love this. And I love that. At one point, someone raised their hand and they felt like their life had changed and blah, blah, blah. And then when that person shares what they share, then the person that's listening then says, Hearing that makes me feel this way. Like hearing that makes me feel inspired. Hearing that makes me feel exhilarated. Hearing that makes me feel we're doing the work that we're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. And then that person shares that. And then the person responds to that. And they keep going deeper and deeper into the savoring moment. And it's amazing. I've done this a few different times. And now when I look back at that moment, I experience more feelings because I dove into the moment and it almost I almost feel high 
going back to that moment again because we spend time sitting in it. And I even run this in my gratitude workshop where I actually have people write down what they're really good at, like at work, right? Or, you know, like, what are you really good at? What If you were to brag, what would you brag about? And then I have them walk around and share with each other and high five each other. And I ask them afterwards, like, you know, was it fun? But I more so ask them, how did that feel? Like, was that awkward? The most people are like, oh, I, oh, so awkward because nobody spends time ever celebrating themselves. But then I asked them, like, how easy would it be for you to write a list of things that you do horribly? And they'd be like, oh, easily all the time. Like, let's do this. So to watch people actually trying to celebrate is both fascinating and also like really sad because they don't do it enough. We just don't do it enough. Well, for yet another episode that we wasn't necessarily our favorite, I feel like it had a lot of good stuff. So <laughs> it was not yet another. It was it was for a for an episode that didn't necessarily feel like it was our favorite. Well, um, as I break it down, I enjoyed it more <laughs> now that I think about it. Now I'm like, it wasn't that bad. It was actually pretty good. Like there's a lot there's a lot in there. Yeah, there was actually a lot of good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot in there. Uh, biggest takeaway. What's your biggest takeaway? Oh, uh, you go first, as I have to think about this. I think my biggest takeaway is just that reminder to be present. Again, it's a so super simple concept, and yet never easy to just do. Like it takes a lot of intention. So I really like that reminder. I guess mine is similar to yours. It's savor the moment. Mm-hmm. It's being fully present, but it's also like celebrating what is actually happening you know, right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And asking yourself, when was the last time I actually celebrated? All right. Well, thanks so much for the conversation. It was great. Um, I appreciate you. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you again next week. Talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of what would Ted Lasso do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, Try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso.